This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Jay. And Trav's not with us tonight. Poor Trav's feeling under the weather. He's, he got cold in the node. Better than under the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac podcast, where we explore strange new worlds, including our own games and many other games as well. This week, we're talking about antiheroes and how to include them. Are you going to be an antihero and what does it mean? One of the harshest things I've had to do as a GM is remain morally neutral. When I'm GMing and somebody comes up with a hideous idea, oh, I know, let's massacre the city. That'll take care of it. And I just have to sit there and do my absolute best to keep a straight face and go, okay, and adjudicate what happens in a neutral cause and effect sense without bringing my own idea of, no, that's horrible, into it. It's one of the harshest things as a GM, but you've really got to be careful about preaching at your players and jamming your own ideas of morality or not down their throats. You can't bring the cavalcade of waifs at them saying, no, sir, with my little kitty. Can you help me find my kitty? You know, don't while you're trying to set the death bomb someplace, she's trying to get you to go <laughs> help her find her kitty. <laughs> that brings up a good point. If you're going to run an adventure where you're not having heroes, you're having anti-heroes who are breaking laws. You as a game master had to figure out how far you're going to chase after their actions. When they cross certain lines, when are they going to actually have to deal with, you know, the cops? Like, for example, in a lot of adventures we run, we never think about the detective that's going to go behind them and find the clues. You know, like, let's say one of the characters uses a signature ammo or something that they really like. That would make it easy for a detective that was trying to track him down to find him. When they play their characters, they don't think... Most of the time they don't think about the cameras that are watching them or the fact that they use their ATM card, you know, a block down the road before they did this heist or whatever and, and that the one of the cameras would pick them up. They don't think about that stuff. But you as a game master, you're trying to keep the game fun. You're not trying to, like, you know, bog the whole thing down. But you're not you, trying to bust their chops over it, but at the right, same time, right. they're because not respecting but, the game world, man. They're not treating the game world right. Right. But what you have to do as a game master is you have to decide where you're drawing the lines on things. Like, for example, if somebody says, well, I'm going to firebomb this nunnery, it's like, well, okay, you know, I'm not totally against you – know, I'm not trying to pin your characters in. But at the same time, I can't just let you do whatever you want because then that's not fun either for anyone because if you can just run about and do whatever you want and never have to worry about any consequences, that's not really fun either. I mean, in the long run, you know, you might think it's fun to do that as your character. I have no consequences. I can do whatever I want. At the same time, it's kind of like, no, it's not fun because there's no challenge to it. You know, so you, you got to figure out where you're going to chase after the characters in, in that kind of situation. Like, all right, you guys, you realize, of course, if, if you do this, you realize, of course, that it's going to draw a lot of fire on you guys because – when you burn down that drug dealer's house, nobody's really going to care all that much. But burning down the orphanage, people are going to care, and they're going to come after you. 
everyone always thinks of the uh, of Boston Tea Party as this great act of, of defiance, but it actually lost them a lot of their strongest supporters in the British courts as a result of that. The people who had been behind them said, I don't have anything to do with these people anymore. Look, they're not willing to stay on the right side of ethics. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cops might be willing to turn a blind eye to some of the stuff you've been doing or not care so much because you're cleaning up their garbage for them. So they're not really like, you know, actively trying to hunt you down. If you do something that is truly wrong, like burn down an apartment complex. Get one guy and wind up killing several families that live in it. Right. Yeah. The cops might actually take an interest in you at that point. In the back of my head, in all of my modern-day games, there is a SWAT team with several very high-level guys in it, just for that level of crazy. If somebody gets that crazy... So the modern-day version of the Blue Bolts from Heaven that were always in the D&D game. Right. <laughs> yeah, warning, they get a little red dot dancing on their forehead. <laughs> yeah. I think it behooves the Game Master to warn the players because the Game Master controls the environment. Look, you guys are about to cross a line. Are you sure you want to cross that line? Okay. You know what I mean? I just, I just think it's more fair that way. If I'm playing with a bunch of guys who, who want to run out and burn down orphanages and just do whatever they want, I'm probably not going to be gaming with them for very long. My contribution to the game is the game world, and the game world doesn't know it's imaginary. And the NPCs don't know they're NPCs. You bring a player character into my game, just walk up and kill a cashier because she didn't give you your change back fast enough, and say, what? She's just an NPC. Not only did you just kick down the fourth wall, you just totally blew everybody's suspension of disbelief, but you also disrespected the characters and, and the situations that I'm bringing to the game and dismissing them as, as inconsequential. You're not really thinking like your character. You're just playing this first-person shooter. It's not the game that I want to play. Right. You, you broke in the social contract. Right. I like being able to treat my game world as though it's a real place. And I like it when the NPCs and, and other characters in the game are real people. I like to keep the suspension of disbelief a lot. So it's really important for you as an anti-hero to have goals that can't be totally fulfilled by going out and just shooting everything in front of you. Yeah. Yes. The old uh, aphorism, there's no problem that can't be solved with the sufficient application of high explosive. That's good for a demotivator poster. It doesn't work well in a game, really. No. You see, with Fringeworthy, one way of becoming an anti-hero is you go on the pathway, take off your IDET uniform and say, yeah, that's it for us. There's some good beer in Pax Romana. Let's go over there. Go rogue. Yeah, and then you go to Pax Romana and find out that they support slavery. You don't have the support of the IDA, but you have some useful skills. I think we're going to add you to this household. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Because you're certainly not a Pax Romana citizen. Yeah. Yeah. You want to keep up with the cinematic tropes and keep up with the storytelling. But if somebody really crosses the line and says, no, I'm going to throw away your whole concept for what we're doing in the game because my character just doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah, that character is going to buy some consequences in game, but I'm also not going to call that guy back and let him know when the next gaming session is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, thinking about Hardware Hinterland, that actually is a great place for, for anti-heroes. Be the ruthless bounty hunter pilot going after air pirates. Mm, yeah, you shoot first and don't ask questions. Yeah, if they're flying air pirate colors, they kind of, you know, are asking for it. But then that brings up a question. What if it's some sort of hostage who, who has tried to escape using an air pirate plane? 
Well, that's the chances they take, right? You can also be somebody who is squeaky clean on one environ, and then you fly over to another environ and basically indulge in your worst fantasies. Until somebody else makes the trip between the two environs that they put it together. Then you're going to have people from both of them coming after you. Do you leave any evidence? Or any survivors. There's one antihero we haven't talked about yet. Oh, what's that? And it's an important one because it's a really good example of an antihero. If you're playing Nightlife or World of Darkness, a nice knockoff of Nightlife, but <laughs> if you're playing Nightlife and you're playing a vampire, uh, right. your mere existence is an abomination. Right. You have to drink other people's blood to survive. So by necessity, you know, you're doing something that is not cool. But that doesn't make you a villain. I mean, especially if you do good things. Yeah, uh, taking people's blood out of them against their will is a bad thing. Right, exactly. You hang around the dumpsters by the blood bank, you know? But you you know what I'm saying? Assume it's the worst case scenario where you have to kill in order for you to survive. That doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a predator. Actually, I got this situation in a superhero role-playing game. I introduced vampires as bad guys because... I hate vampires, and I like them getting shot with lightning bolts and fried with the fire and <laughs> smashed by really strong fists. But uh, at one point, somebody got turned and got captured and got thrown into a cell before she ever got her first taste of human blood. And so she was sitting there starving out while my character said, we can't let her go. She's going to hurt somebody. Yeah, That was an ugly scene, but somebody else's dietary requirements don't trump any given person's right to be intact in their body. Right. True. Right. That's what I'm saying. They're a predator, but that doesn't make them evil. No, but it makes it something where you can't let them predate. Right. I agree. If you're a good guy, if you're an antihero, then you pull your collar down and say, buy me dinner, baby. No, if you're an antihero, you find bad people to feed on. Oh, right. 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 Here's a murderer. Enjoy. Right. You start walking down dark alleys with $100 bills hanging out your pocket. (laughs) And you know, when they come after you, and you know they will. You tase them and hand them off to the vampire. You've got dinner, yeah. There's another example of that where you don't need to drain the person to death. If you get enough blood out of them to survive, you would have vampire groupies. Is it okay if it's a willing exchange or if it's a willing grant? Does somebody own their soul enough to hand a piece of it to a vampire? I say yes. I'd have to say yes on that one, too. And I, I would say, want to stay far away from there, and I'd want to buy a flamethrower. Jay, Jay, if you don't own your soul, no one does. Yeah. <laughs> I personally don't believe in a soul. But if I did, it would be mine to do with as I choose. We're not talking about real-life convictions here. you got to keep those off the role-playing no, no, table. No, saying- now, that is one of the core root-level principles of ethics and being a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start building up from the simple things into the more com- complex things. There's one instance where somebody made a counter-argument that I found interesting. Bedazzled in the 1990s with uh, What's-Her-Face and that other guy. You know the one. Elizabeth Hurley and... Um... Yeah, selling your soul to the devil. Yeah. Right. And at the very end of it, he finds out, you know, he wasn't entitled to sell his soul to the devil. His soul belonged to God. And I, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if I agree with it. 
but I thought it was an interesting idea. Now, when we take a step back and say, okay, now we're making up an imaginary world, you kind of got to decide, do people or sentient things have souls, and how does that work in order to address questions like this? Right. Yeah. You know, if a vampire could do a partial feed and somebody was a voluntary participant of it, like I said, I would say, well, you know, that's your bag, and I'd go home and start building a flamethrower. Yeah. I mean, if, it's, if, it, if the vampire just needs blood... Then yeah, either partial, either either partial feeds, or he, you know, he works he works night shift at the uh, blood bank. I, I still see him as an antihero because he has a need. He has to feed to survive, but he is going out of his way to not kill people. Okay, if he's an antihero, he has to be doing heroic things. What heroic things is his vampire doing that would justify his continued act? Activity of preying upon other people, whether they're willing willing or not. I see it as the fact that he is not killing anyone is an act of heroism in itself because he doesn't have to do that. He has to fight his own nature and make a very conscious decision and a very conscious effort not to kill people. Right. He is taking the harder path, the much harder path. Uh, yeah. Angel, the, the TV series yes. back in the 90s. And Angel himself was, in fact, a, a sterling-hearted hero, except every so often he'd fall off the wagon and feel horrible about it. Well, as long as he felt horrible about it, I guess it's okay. He did. No, he did. And the thing is, though, they did their best. They really jumped through some hoops to put this character in a position where he wasn't really that bad. And, you know, the heroic vampire, you know, the whole idea of vampire stems from a metaphor for the plague. What's his face? A couple of different people in the 1890s took it and made it a metaphor for sex. In one sense, it became a metaphor for sexuality, and it was under the surface, and, and it only came out in the dark, and when it came out, it was a monster and, and things like this. But before that, it was, this, it was this metaphor for the plague and for death, and people kind of mix and match the pieces they like. And I think when you have a vampire that, that doesn't have to do much of anything, he just gets to hang out and be a vampire. It's, it's Superman without the kryptonite. Mm -hmm. it's, it's Twilight. It's yeah. a cheat. Yeah, exactly. It's a conceptual cheat. It's a complete, hollow, useless, you know, it's, it's, it's total training wheels time. They don't pick up the, the whole depth of it. They just go to the surface. Super strong, can't go out in the day, has fangs, drinks blood. I don't like it personally, but if people like to play World of Darkness and, and Vampire and and all this kind of stuff. More power to them. I'm not going to stop them. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you can go ahead and, and give my place to somebody else. Vlad Dracula. He became a vampire by basically leading a vampiric life before he died. He was yeah, evil. He was, yeah. He, you know, but he also is a national hero in, that, in Hungary. In Romania. Romania, too. Yeah. A lot of the people he was evil and vampiric towards happened to be Muslim invaders from uh, yeah. over there near Byzantium. But... I think you would like our group, the way we handle vampires, the way we've played them. In our groups, we always take in those social issues. The way I played my characters in French, where they, the way they devolved into a different character than when they start. That's how we play. Our current campaign is a World of Darkness campaign. We decided to give it a try, this, this new World of Darkness. But we started our characters. Our characters are still human at this point. We started them from childhood. And... We're playing these characters as people until they go into their conversion, and then we're going to move on from their conversion. But we're going to know what these characters were like when they were human. Mm, that sounds interesting, 
but I've had some bad experiences with people who really liked vampires. Really, really, really <laughs> liked vampires. Well, our group doesn't. We just like role-playing. So we like role-playing all kinds of stuff. I would like to be able to GM some stuff for your group because they sound like interesting people. But, right. yeah. you know, I'd want you to be able to be a, uh, be a to be able to play a paladin if you wanted to and hold the other characters to account if they if they were doing things a paladin wouldn't tolerate in the party. It's tough. A couple of the guys, they, they like playing close to villain type characters. So it's just, just to keep the continuity and not keep it so that we're always in fighting. Um, yeah, that's rough if you can't play a character you like because the character would conflict with character styles they oh, like. It's fine, though. I don't really like playing total heroes anyway. You always it's, can play a dirty, hairy uh, paladin. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, John McClane. Honestly, it's it's not a problem for me because I always lean a little bit towards the dark side anyway, so it's it, it's okay. I like people who really dig into their characters. I like people who really play the characters and buy in. But I just have a personal emotional thing about vampires. And so, you know, that's why I'm really couching it in. This is my damage and not yours. And if you want to play vampires, please go go right ahead. I just don't like it. <laughs> please don't play sparkly vampires. I'll no. play all the sparkly vampires you want, but I'm bringing my superhero in from the old game and he's going to start robbing oh. people again. There. After five long years, my latest invention is complete. Surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come. Hey, what are you in here? Get get away from there, you stupid simian sociopath! Don't touch that! Ah, monkeys took my jetpack! Monkeys took my jetpack at mtmjetpack.com. I'm actually playing a geist, which is a really interesting concept. A ghost. No, no, it's a geist. They're different than ghosts. A geist is no, ghost. no, no, John, John. I don't know. Is on third base. <laughs> I know. It's, it's geist is German for spirit. But they're different than ghosts. It's a world of darkness thing. It's you know. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's 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 strip mi- it's strip mining mythology for another type of character to play. Mm-hmm. We should define it as different. <laughs> so okay. what, what now, haven't we covered yet? Let's get yet? back into our games. Let's get back into our games, the ones that we're playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah what, what haven't we covered yet? We uh, how about real life antiheroes? Those are harder to find because they usually either end up in jail or dead. I remember one guy. I never heard about him in history, but I read about him in a Harry Turtle Dove book, and then I went and looked him up. Otto something. He was apparently like this real. I've heard him. He was the most interesting man you ever would meet. Got, Actually, not that guy from the Dos Equis commercials. This auto guy would beat his ass. Yeah. <laughs> when you read his adventures, you go, what? No, this can't yeah. be. T- he went to the school of I didn't know it was impossible when I did it. <laughs> and and he was a Nazi super spy. He was a Nazi James Bond. Hold on. This is what I'm talking about. Real life antiheroes. Let's take, for example, real life mercenaries. Okay. Now – the news media will call these guys contractors in uh, Afghanistan or uh, Iraq. Oh, several contractors had their heads cut off in, in Afghanistan. Yeah, when they hear contractor, I think of a guy with a hard hat and a set of drawings under his arm. And, no, these are mercenaries. These are guys that the government hires to carry guns and protect convoys and such. And shoot people, right, right. and not, not necessarily be held accountable for it the same way somebody under the mil- uniform code of military justice would. Yeah. 
some of those are villains, but some of them could be antiheroes. Well, they've always been kind of in that gray area. The contractors are not new. My dad actually did that kind of work in Chile during their revolution to put in what's-his-name. I actually did not know very much about that when my dad talked about it. There are a lot of uh, mercenary uh, pilots during uh, various Mm -hmm. dust in in Indonesia uh, before Mm -hmm. we even got involved. They would be flying in and doing things, and not necessarily for the American government, but just for the money. And there's several uh, cases of mercenary guys then going to Africa. A lot of these guys are like wise guys and made men in the mob. It's nothing personal. It's about the money. They're they're about the money. You got the money. I got the violence. Well, what's important here is they're not evil. They're not doing it to hurt other people. They're not doing it because they're sadistic. Some of them are. No, no. Some of them are. But I'm talking about the ones that qualify. I think that disregard for who gets hurt as long as they get paid is kind of a slippery concept. But uh, granting that there's somebody who, who enters it from a from an ethical standpoint saying, okay, I'm hired to do this job and protect the, these people. And if somebody comes up and starts shooting, I'm going to shoot them. But, you know, I'm not going to go looking for targets or shooting people just because I think it's funny. There, there could be somebody like that. Apparently, it takes somebody with a very strong character and a very strong sense of situational awareness to stick to his own personal code like that when yeah. everybody else is falling out of it. we got to pull these guys out and play them as characters. Oh, so, yeah. Playing mercenaries is a completely role-playing, gameable premise. You're kind of glossing over. You're kind of cinematizing and TVizing these ethical issues and the fact that it's usually a pretty scuzzy scene. And instead, you know, we, we're going TV mercenaries. They have uh, waxed chests and, and they're oiled up and tailored BDUs and the whole nine yards. Wait a minute, hold on. But, but not only that, even if you're playing completely realistic, you could say, being that this is my character, I am playing the one good guy out of that outfit. All those other guys were villains. I'm playing the one anti-hero from that outfit. That'd be kind of a lonely scene there. Well, I know, I know, I know. But that's what I'm saying. So in other words... Yes, most of these soldiers for hire might qualify as villains because they, you know, they'll kill anybody for any amount of money or whatever. But being that this is your character and you get to define him how you want, you can always be that guy who wasn't him, who wasn't that guy. There was a movie a while back, Tears of the Sun. Right. And that was an interesting variation on that where this special forces guy was must get the mission done, must get the mission done, no matter who gets hurt, no matter how awful the results, must do the mission, and that's why he was a trusted uh, special forces guy. And then right at the end, he said, no, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do the right thing this time, you know, knowing it was going to wipe out his career, but he went ahead and did the right thing anyway. I thought that was a great movie. Honestly, I'm thinking you want to go cheesy. I'm thinking The Expendables. Okay. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm probably not going to see it anytime soon. It's a good, cheesy, mercenary movie. Every guy who shows up and points a gun at, at somebody with a name on the marquee is a bad guy and needs to get shot. There's not a lot of gray area there. They drop down into the middle of Mook Central and start wiping out the Mooks. And the Mooks try, yep. To, yep. try to get them back because they, they, they don't realize that they're Mooks. Right, yeah. right. There's also a movie from the 80s, The Dogs of War, with Christopher Walken in the title role. And oh, he, I saw that. He was walking around with a uh, twenty millimeter drum fed grenade launcher, using it as a as a personal weapon. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, well, there was another movie back in the '80s called Split Second, basically uh, a Bureau Thirteen recruiting film. <laughs> and the guy, when he finally gets it that there's a monster in play, runs back into the police station saying, "We need more guns, bigger guns." <laughs> I remember that movie. 
Yes. Like I say, it's a B-13 recruiting film. If I'm GMing that kind of a game with the PCs as mercenaries, okay, I'm going to go just like that. There's going to be random hordes of completely irredeemable bad guys here and there, and they're going to get hired to fly in and drop mass havoc on their heads and kill in mass amounts. And each and every one of the little NPCs they kill will have a horrible crime worthy of the death sentence that he did at some point previously. So I don't have to feel like a mass murderer when I set them all up to get killed. <laughs> I think there's one thing we haven't covered, and that's fringe pirates, because they fall under a different category. Fringe pirates as PCs and fringe pirates as the protagonists of your story are two different if, things. If I'm going to GM that, I'm going to make them like a resistance to an evil kind of, of uh, fringe-worthy sprawl where somebody evil has found the, the fringe paths and it's expanding their influence along them. And the PCs are a scruffy band of rebels and resistors to the evil. You know, that way I'm not saying, no, you're pirates. Your job is to rob and kill and watch them, you know, drive into 1956 America and hold beaver hostage while they loot the town. <laughs> the fringe pirates give birth to more fringe pirates just because mm -hmm. they make pills for that now there's enough fringe pirates out there there may be a fringe pirate stronghold and or whoever is nominally in charge decides that yeah that's what he's going to do he's going to create an army and he's going to start conquering worlds and <laughs> but trouble is his idea of conquering is sort of along the line of the tale of the huns yeah you know? <laughs> we forge our alts in the ways of our ancestors yeah and you have the, our gratitude. Well, I make a good story. The PCs, well, one of them is his son. Mm. <laughs> daddy. And it's forming the, the, the rebel alliance of other fringe, of like-minded fringe pirates who are just in it for the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Evil Empire is a good place to play pirates in because, you know, mm -hmm. whenever you kick over one of their galleons or one of their loot trains heading down the fringe paths, you're robbing people who've done the robbing and and brought the hurt to other people, and you got a good shoot there. Bruce, are you still with us? We just steamrolled you about 20 minutes ago. I'm just trying to winnow out just a fraction of a, of a tiny pebble of on topic <laughs> for me to grab onto and do something with. The fringe pirates, their validity as PCs depends on who they're pirating from and who they're shooting at, in my opinion. You'd have to first go into the motivation of the fringe pirates. You'd have to define what is a fringe pirate and, you know, is there a bigger organization that they're part of and so forth. If they're not, if you're a PC, then you'd just be this a more aggressive fringe walker rather than going in and saying, please, would you give me some stuff so I can keep moving along the fringe paths? You're just going in and taking it. I think that would pretty much put you in the, in the role of the evil. Yeah. Unless you are also put on the template of Meller Hunter, in which case you're going around the fringe paths, you're taking what you need, but you're only doing it because that's the only way for you to be strong enough to be able to take on the evil Meller. That's kind of a utilitarian argument, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm robbing you, but I'm doing it for your own good. Trust me. Right. Or I'm doing it because if you know, there's a greater evil that I must fight and therefore you know, give up your cow, your crop. If we don't, then the Huns will come in and kill your wife and children. I wouldn't feel comfortable GMing that. There might be players who might be comfortable playing that, but I would kind of get itchy. In, the, in a later campaign, it could be that you're not pirates, you're privateers, which is a totally different thing altogether. Yeah, who they're pirating and who they're pointing their guns at makes all the difference. We pretty much defined a fringe pirate as far as their ethics are concerned are those who do not mind the consequences to the people that they take things from. Because they're not real. 
Um, <laughs> there are all these alternate. They're from alternates. They're not real people. There's all kinds of different rationales. Okay, John, you're th- you're throwing it out of left field. Okay, I mean they're they're from alternates as well. As a matter of fact, almost all fringe pirates are probably a, a eclectic group from a bunch of different worlds. I, I agree, but the thing is, I, I had this actually conversation during one of my games with somebody. He says, "Well, you know, the thing is." We're the only real people. They're all alternates of us. Was it you who posted an account of a game where they went into an alt and killed their alternate selves? It was a really close alt to Earth Prime, and they ran across their alternates and and killed them all and started setting stuff on fire? I don't think it was me. I think it was someone else who wrote that one. Okay. I was looking at that going, wow. I wouldn't run that adventure. (laughs) You know, if, if somebody wanted to play well, we're a bunch of guys on a wagon and we take from the week and give it to ourselves because that's the way it goes. You know, if they wanted to play that, eh, I wouldn't feel comfortable GMing it. You know, again, all about who they're pirating and who they're pointing their guns at. I can see the group knowing that this world is about to be filled with Meller and then going to some fringe pirates and saying, look, you help us. You join forces with us and take out these Meller, which you hate too. Mm -hmm. We'll give you X. Then you get into the commonality of the aim. Right, exactly what we talked about originally. I just realized we forgot our most favorite, though, our favorite, our very favorite, favorite, favorite bunch of anti-heroes, the A-Team. All right. I mean, we used them so many times. We, you know, we even used their names in describing things. The A-Team would be a great, good one on the first page. I, I question whether or not the A-Team are actually anti-heroes. Yeah, they're, they're wanted for a crime, but it's a crime they didn't commit. Yeah, exactly. They're a technical violation of the law, but then but they, they drive around undercover and like help people. They never actually hit anybody with the bullets that they fire. Exactly. The TV, <laughs> they, the, the TV <laughs> version had worse marksmanship than G.I. Joe. Or, <laughs> or the stormtroopers. But they do I mean, John, go ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> they Sorry, do what? a lot more property damage. They do a lot more yes. property damage, and they actually do break law. I mean, I hate to say it, they do they do violate areas. They do violate trespassing laws. He actually had broken laws. It is, it's, yeah, well, we know that. But, John, it's the spirit of yeah. it. They're good. very light on the anti-hero spectrum. They're good guys forced into a situation, and those are the things they have to do to survive. If you take just their intentions, they're white knight heroes. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're just, they're just, like I say, they're very lightly on the anti-hero side because they do yeah, wreak massive they, property destruction. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. They're anti-heroes light. On the wrong side of the law, yeah. but... But they're sympathetic. John, they're anti-heroes as much as Luke Skywalker is an anti-hero. Yes, exactly. Right, because he's on the wrong side of the of the, of the Empire. Of yeah. the Imperial law, yeah. You know, are the Rebels bad guys? Well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. If Uncle Owen hadn't been such a stick in the mud, he'd be in the Imperial Academy. I mean, honestly, it's like their Rebel is our insurgent. Hey, there's an alternate. The alternate where, where Luke Skywalker, you know, Imperial uh, TIE fighter pilot. John, I did something like that with Star Wars once. It was Oh my god. It was quite interesting. So the PCs were in the place of the rebels. The Empire was being led by young Lieutenant Skywalker who kept trying to track him down. Darth Vader had found Luke Skywalker because I don't know, his last name was Skywalker. <laughs> and- <laughs> uh, apparently they don't have phone books on Tatooine. <laughs> So Darth Vader found Luke Skywalker as a young boy and pulled him into the whole thing. So he was actually a dark Jedi. And they found his sister Leia because it was pretty easy to follow those records. So (laughs) the party was actually playing in a Star Wars universe that was very different from what they had expected. 
Yeah, my Star Wars was an alt where there were ancient legends of people named Skywalker who rolled around the galaxy fighting for dominance and just raising complete hell. Let's get away from the canon and give me a little bit of space to play. So we've talked ad nauseum on the anti-hero, and basically what it boils down to is the anti-hero can be the reluctant hero or the villain with a conscience, depending on how far you want to go to the left or to the right of it. But the idea is that you're skirting social norms and the laws to do whatever it is you need to do to get by, but your goal is not to hurt anyone else who's undeserving or to take that which you don't deserve or that wasn't taken fairly. You would be a good guy given a different situation or presented in a, in a different light. I think they make the most interesting characters. You know, the hero can be fun, but I think they're mostly only fun set against anti-heroes. The rest of us all agree that playing a villain is very difficult to run a campaign on that. If you want to do that, that's fine. But the anti-hero seems to be the uh, the most fun hero to play, even if he's leaning towards the good. Keep him a little gray. So till next week, this has been the TriTac Podcast. One of them anyway. Yeah. Or all of them at once. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.